I'm thinking of installing a golden microphone. Goodness me. Because do you know who the last person to use that microphone was? John Laws? No, no. Todd McKenney. Oh, oh, he visited you, didn't he? He did, and he recorded a part for our podcom, our podcast sitcom, a little cameo part. Oh, that's great. Maybe a sequined microphone <laughs> rather than a gold yeah. one. <laughs> that's fantastic. How did he do? Oh, brilliant, of course. Excellent. And you'll find out soon when we finish all the other recordings and the editing and all the other stuff that has to happen. And funnily enough, the podcom is about the difficulties in having online meetings. Oh, yes. Over Zoom and um, yeah. Skype and stuff. Which is one of our topics today. Oh, great. Later on, we're going to be talking to Paul Williams of Duke Paints about how important painting is for buildings, both inside and out. No relation. No relation to you and certainly no relation to me. And finally, we are going to talk about how do you approach a complaint at your tribunal? What's the tactics, the best tactics for that? I'm Jimmy Thompson. And I'm Sue Williams. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. So one of the things that's come out of the coronavirus, the whole business, is like in every territory, in every state, the government has made it easier for strata committees to meet online, mm-hmm. you know, using Zoom and things like that, and also to have electronic voting and things like that. And we've had a post to the Flat Chat Forum about a, I'm not going to name the, the strata scheme, but the strata scheme has had a plan to fix their windows. Uh, it's sitting there for about five years, apparently. It's going to cost them about $300,000. And nothing is done, nothing is done. Somebody said we should, they got one quote only, and somebody said we need to get other quotes, and somebody said we can get this done for $100,000 less. I mean, it's a big building, obviously, to cost that much. And then suddenly, in the past couple of weeks, a meeting is held electronically. An executive committee meeting or an AGM? Uh, No, just a general meeting, I think. Oh, okay. Um, Or it might just have been an executive committee meeting, but it's in the the website, flat-chat.com.au. And suddenly this thing is approved, pushed through, orders are sent out, and everybody's told you're going to have to pay, like the person who wrote to us is having their levies trebled. Wow, that's quite a lot, isn't it? It is a lot. And, And asking, well, how can this be allowed to happen, you know, with a meeting that most people couldn't attend? So do you think people are taking the opportunity of COVID to actually push through stuff that they really want to see happen and they've been a bit frustrated by the slow machinations of democracy and they're just taking this opportunity to to strike quickly and just go for things? I think there's a bit of that. I mean, uh, this is going to be the topic of my column in the the Australian Financial Review this weekend, but I think there's a, a, a bit of that thing of people going, yep, now we can just get stuff done. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the stuff they're getting done is bad. I think there are people who are going, oh, I can sneak something through here before anyone notices. And and I think, you know, there are pet projects as well. You know, that people, mm. when I say pet, I don't, don't mean, mean animals. I, I don't mean yeah. animals. I mean, it's their little hobby horses. I also don't mean horses. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and... And they're using the fact that most people, even fewer people, will be involved 
because people are distracted with, mm. with just dealing with day-to-day life at the moment. And not everybody is au fait with using Zoom or Skype and things like that. So there are people who are taking advantage one way or the other, um, not necessarily to the detriment of the, the strata scheme, but sometimes you'd think, you know, it's got to be things going through there that might not otherwise have gone through. Mm. And you're not talking about just COVID regulations, are you? You know, things like the the committees might put in place to deal with COVID, like not having deliveries up to the doors of apartment apartments anymore, just down to the lobby and things like that. It's, it's all across the, the board. The whole thing. It's mm. the whole management of the building. Mm. Although somebody, it's funny you should say that because somebody's written to us and said that their scheme has just passed bylaws saying you cannot allow anybody else into your apartment that isn't already a resident of the building. and Into their apartment? Uh, yeah. So all they can't these, have their mum over for a coffee no, or something? all these draconian... Or maybe family members are exempt, but you can't have friends over. And Ooh, yeah, they can't do that, can they? No, they can't, but they <laughs> but they have. So, so wow. yeah, so that's what I mean. You know, people sort of getting a wee bit carried away with the whole thing. Obviously, with the best intentions. I mean, their intention is not to make people's lives more miserable. Their intention is to protect the whole building, but they've just gone too far. And we know there's lots of buildings with kind of would-be dictators sitting in them, really. Oh, really? Are there? (laughs) And this gives them open slather, perhaps. Well, it makes it a lot easier for them. And, you know, if they have a quick ring-around meeting and say, here are the regulations, what do you think? And everybody goes, yeah, 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 probably without even reading them, then they can get stuff done. And then it becomes that clawback fight, you know, to 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 get get things reversed. Yeah. Mm. You know, and some of them are quite sensible, like, you know, in our building, they've, they took a poll of people and how many people are you prepared to have in the lift, two or four, and 70% of respondents said they'd rather just have two people in the lift, more if they're all in the same family. And there's no legal basis for that. It's not a bylaw, it's not a requirement, but it is the community saying this is what we would rather have, and that's how things should work. Mm. You know, that rather than people uh, sitting there, these would-be dictators sitting there issuing edicts about how we have to behave, actually asking people in the building, how would you prefer things to mm. be? Mm. That's a real democracy. But the other side of this, and we touched on this in last week's podcast, John Hutchison of Strata Answers was saying we're getting into this strange situation now of the pre-voting electronically or otherwise, or the written vote, you know, the emailed vote or the, the handwritten vote, where people are voting before they have the discussion. Right, so they don't really know the pros and cons or perhaps don't know the repercussions of making a certain decision. Well, you pro- possibly not, you know. Because and, they haven't been aired fully. Yeah, for a full discussion, you need um, somebody to stand up and say, this is what we want to do, and somebody else to say, well, here here are what I think the consequences, the negative consequences of that might be. And in the majority of cases, it's not earth-shattering. You know, for instance, the, the lift thing, you could say it could have gone either way, but the there are things like spending massive amounts of money. There should be a limit, I think. Mm. And I think that limit should be that the government says, if you're going to take electronic voting on this, you've got to present both sides. You know, let's say for anything that costs more than $20,000, you've got to present both sides. Somebody has to be invited, or even the people who are proposing the motion should say, look, there are potential negative consequences here, which we think might be this, but we think the 
good mm. outweighs the bad. And there should be three quotes as well, shouldn't there? I for, mean, that... for any big, yeah, for yeah. any big job like that, definitely, definitely. And that's just a case of your mind immediately goes to uh, corrupt behaviour and, you know, somebody's getting a kickback and all those other evil things. But, you know, it's that old dictum, you know, never ascribe to malice anything that can just as easily be explained by stupidity. Yeah. Well, never, never ascribe to corruption anything that can just as easily be explained by <laughs> laziness. <laughs> and transparency is always really important. There was a big building in Sydney a few years ago where the chairperson um, gave three quotes and uh, everybody decided on the middle quote, but he hadn't told anyone that it was his brother-in-law's company that they were giving the work to. Right. And I mean, that quote might might well have been perfectly adequate yeah. and it might have been the one that people would have gone to anyway, yeah. but he really should have disclosed that. Yeah. And later on, when there was an awful lot of trouble in that building, that was discovered and brought up and used to discredit him. So mm. it's a real no-win situation if you kind of start out to be deceitful. Well, yeah. I mean, and the thing is that what he should have done is said, this is my brother-in-law and I'm going to recuse myself from the vote. And when you talked about Strata Answers, um, we must point out that they are a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> With that in mind. Um, yes, absolutely, they are, and, and very valuable and loyal sponsors they are. And they're a great asset, too, in uh, that kind of grey area between Strata Managers and Strata Lawyers. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Paul Williams about painting buildings and what we should and shouldn't do. That's after this. And we're back. Our guest this week is Paul Williams of Duke Paints. Um, once again, because we're doing this on Zoom, the sound quality may be a bit variable from what we usually have. We're joined this morning by Paul Williams of Duke's Paint. I think I may have called it Duke before, but it's Duke's Paint. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm good, Jimmy. How are you? Very well. And Sue's here as well. G'day, Sue. Hi. Really interesting. It's one of these things that's kind of not considered very much until it's needed. Does a new paint job really make that much difference to the value of an apartment block or even the apartments inside the block? Look, the short answer, Jimmy, is yes. Yes, it does. Um, I'd love to have a, a beautiful round number for you to tell all our customers exactly what that is. But um it's it's not something that I could nail down on, but when you have a beautifully uh, painted new block, it it attracts more buyers, so you have more chance of of sale. It appears much better online when you you know when you're scrolling through realestate.com or or any of these other apps that that sell properties. Um, you know, if you, you can be easily put off by by a block that looks really run down and and, and not well maintained, so people are turned away. The other thing to consider is Investors see that the the block has been been painted. It, it's an expense that mm. has already been outlaid, and and they won't be hit up for such a large capital expenditure um, if they right. were to in. And also, um, it's much easier to, to lease an apartment or let an apartment that's that's beautifully maintained as well. So that those are the the ways that the painting can add value to to the owners of of units. Oh, great! And as part apart from the aesthetics. Painting is presumably an important part of the maintenance too, is it? 
Oh, incredibly important. I mean, it's the last thing that goes on after the, you know, if the building is repaired, but it, it, it's so important for the ongoing stability of, of the building. Um, it protects the surfaces that it's applied to against breakdown, you know, things like concrete cancer and timber rot. These are enormously expensive items to repair. Um, so coatings are, play a cru- crucial role in, in taking care of those surfaces, definitely. I know that you also, your company does remediation work on buildings. Correct. Um, do you ever discover the paint has been used to cover up potentially serious defects like concrete cancer that you mentioned there? Oh, for sure. Okay. Jimmy, there's so many times we do, we do so many jobs uh, in the strata world each year and these buildings are high rise and you can't get up to certain sec- sections of the building to check them out. But we do as painters, we, we cover every portion of your building and we see every part of your building. And so often when you've had other trades come in and, and do work, they will often paint over areas that needed repair when it was done. Right. We often find when we scrape back the loose paint, there it is. And the reason the paint is loose is because the substrate is, is damaged, whether it be concrete cancer or rot. Um, and that's something that we do. We, we provide reports to the owners and show them. Uh, what we found and obviously we're able to repair those things but um, it it is very common that uh, paint does hide uh, building defects that's for sure. Oh dear and what's the conversation like when you say I've discovered problems prepping the paint job but I can fix them? Uh, That's it 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 can be a bit awkward but we we (laughs) we avoid that at the start but because we have uh, the ability to remediate as well as paint we always have that conversation at tender time at the meeting on site we say look we do many of these buildings each year and and we know just by looking around your building from the ground that we there are going to be some repairs uh, that are required and we ask the owners to keep a uh, contingency in their budget for those items and it's mm. typically in the region of 10 to 15 percent of the cost of the contract to paint the building but that's a good idea it's, it's very prudent because the last thing that we want is to get everyone upset by asking them for more money because after you go to a meeting, you agree on a budget and you move forward. Mm. Um, so we do try and avoid that awkwardness, but I imagine it does exist when uh, <laughs> they aren't prepared, that's for sure. Yeah. Are there different kinds of paint for different circumstances? For sure. Like, these days you can get paint for every type of surface and each brand has their own uh, pluses and minuses um, out there in the industry. But, you know, specific services benefit from different types of coatings. And yep. uh, at specification time, when we're, when we're looking at your building, we'll always ensure that the, the correct coating is applied to the correct surface. I mean, for instance, on timber, uh, any timber surface is, is subject to uh, expansion and contraction more than most people know. It's constantly swelling up and then contracting and, and, and coatings need to be able to flex with that. And uh, mm. it's important that you use acrylic type coatings to ensure that uh, you don't get cracks in your in your coating and then water gets in and, and timber rot starts to happen. So, yes, there's all different types of coatings for all different types of surfaces. And, and I suppose the techn- the uh, environment the building is in is a consideration as well. Like if you've got a building right next to the beach, you've got a lot of salt water in there compared to one that's maybe sitting in the middle of bushland or, or certainly in a very dry area. Would the same building get different paints? Oh, Look, absolutely. I think the cl- the closer you are to the coast, and in, and in Sydney and New South Wales, where we operate, obviously, we're very close to the coast. And it's super important that you, you choose coatings that, you know, allow 
the building to shed um, salts and things like that and be easily washed. Um, epoxy mm. coatings for metal surfaces to ensure those are adequately protected against the, the corrosion. You're right. Uh, more inland buildings are subject to different types of atmospheric conditions and, and, and coatings are applied, you know, accordingly. Mm. And how has paint technology changed in the last 10 years or so? Look, it, it, in certain respects, it has come a long way. Um, for instance, there's there's a lot more of a move towards more green and eco-friendly paints. That would be a good idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's the way to go, look, yeah, definitely. But there's other considerations, other you know, on top of the, the obvious environmental ones, there's just the odour. I mean, we paint a lot of stairwells and, and, and hallways in, in large strata buildings and, and having enamel paints in those environments now um, it's not it's not acceptable and uh, right. so, yeah using acrylic paints where there's low odor or low VOC is, is super important for people's health uh, so, so you're talking about the fumes and off-gassing and things like that from absolutely yeah absolutely it's uh, when you're in a, a hallway or a foyer with a in a large building you could be painting 20 or 30 doors um, and it's right. quite uh, overwhelming so in that situation, the eco-friendly type paints are, uh, are very useful. How often should owners paint the exterior of a building? Again, I suppose environmental factors come into it, but what would be your recommended frequency of painting? Yeah, of course, look, 10 years is the, is the, the industry marker that we try and um, we'd, like, we'd like the owners of buildings to, to, to look at it every 10 years. And I think that's a good marker for most buildings. Uh, but you're 100%, 100% correct in the proximity to the ocean is is definitely uh, a consideration those buildings you're looking more towards five to seven but it also depends on the type of construction uh, if you've got a lot of timber and metal uh, those items need to be maintained much more often than masonry or concrete render and things like that because of the expansion and contraction in those types of surfaces the paint coating breakdown is much more accelerated and those types of surfaces, being metal and timber, need to be constantly maintained to ensure the integrity of the, uh, the substrate. So, you look, each building has its own considerations, but standard is 10 years, that's for sure. And, and what happens if you leave it too long? Oh, look, it depends how long you leave it, uh, as I say, but, you know, you're up for remediation costs. I mean, to put this in perspective, I would say 60 to 70% of the contracts we do for repaint um, have some degree of remediation by the end of it. Uh, our staff go all over the building, touch every surface. We wash it, we touch it, we scrape it. Uh, so if there's a defect, we generally find it. So the longer you leave it, the more exposed the owners are to to those uh, surface defects. So the more expensive it might be in the long run. Ab- absolutely. The, the longer it goes on, the more the more severe the uh, the timber rot or the concrete cancer or the render failure becomes, and and, and the more costly, definitely. And are there any new trends in colour schemes? Look, colour schemes, <laughs> as an applicator and a person who operates within the strata industry, I like to steer as, as well clear of colours as I possibly can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been involved in many, many, many colour battles over uh, uh, within strata committees. But um, look, um, there, are, there are, strata is one of those uh, particular... Uh, sectors where uh, staying more conservative is usually the way things go and and, and for internal common areas you're looking at off-whites on walls and ceilings to brighten them up uh, and then deeper colours on balustrades and doors as a contrast and then externals the the greys and the charcoals and the the off-whites are still very very popular and and we paint those 
Um, but one thing I would say is it's, it's really important to stay true to the era of your building. Um, hmm. You've got a more heritage type building or an art deco type building. Going those greys and charcoals is not always the best way to go. So definitely stay true to the, the era, the era hmm. of the build, your building was built in, that's for sure. And you said you've been involved in strata battles. Was that kind of a building saying we'd like to go bright pink or bright orange and you saying, oh, I don't think so? Oh, no, <laughs> not so much. It's more everyone, you know, you, you're trying to bring everyone together for a common goal and... Yes, look, sometimes some people want certain colours and obviously it's not going to fly in a group situation when they're a bit out there, uh, when colours are a bit out there. So with regards to strata battles, it's more so just locking down, giving the owners two schemes, which after consulting them, giving them two schemes, which they can pick from and right. getting <clears throat> on that, definitely. Rather than one of the 50 shades of grey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can councils object to a change of colour? Do you know, like the oh, local? Yeah, t- yeah. yeah like it's mostly related to buildings that have a heritage significance, right? Um, and obviously, in the older suburbs of Sydney, um, eastern suburbs, Lower North Shore, and things like that, they're more exposed to those types of issues. But that's something that we would uh, work with the owners to to get through. Sometimes there needs to be a DA with re- regards to colours, but it's pretty rare unless you're you're changing your colours significantly. Just recently, we were working with a building in Darlinghurst, which had to had to have a DA and had to have the heritage uh, sector or the council come out just to assess the building, just to make sure that our new scheme wasn't going to uh, take them away from that heritage feel. And um, so, yeah, there's definitely considerations with council. What was the oddest request you've ever had regarding painting a building? Oh, oddest request? I mean, Strata throws up some some funny things sometimes. Um, it, one of the oddest things that we've ever had while we're on a site was someone asked us to crane, you know, their furniture up onto their balcony. Uh, <laughs> you know, like that. I mean, obviously we had to decline, but we like to work with our, our customers. Yeah. But right. you know, there's a safety issue there. Like these are these are the types of things that happen from from time to time. Uh, Strata does throw up some some interesting. I'm just thinking there was an old song uh, when I was young, which was a long time ago. My pink half of the drain pipe about it was basically a duplex where one person wanted the, their side of the building painted in one color and the other person didn't. And so they ended up with the drain pipe in the middle having a stripe down it that yes. was one color. Have you ever had a situation like that? All the time, Jimmy. I, <laughs> color is the number one thing in Strata that often delineates people's opinions. <laughs> and color, just recently we did a building where you know, it had five levels of internal foyers and each each person wanted a different colour on, on each one. But obviously, strata, unless there's a huge agreement there uh, between everyone, uh, that can't happen. So um, it's not mm. uncommon for those things to happen, that's for sure. Especially in duplexes and, and uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, where there's yeah. two people and they have equal vote. It's uh, it's a nightmare, I think, for, for a lot of people in that situation in so many different ways. Yes. And yeah. when you're painting the outside of buildings, do you use scaffolding or do you have abseilers? Yeah, so our company has invested a lot in our own access equipment. So we own scaffolding and boom lifts and swing stages. We have our own abseilers. So oh, everything. what we try and do is we don't pigeonhole any one building into a certain way to access. We, we look at the scope of the work and how heavy some of the remediation might be uh, because some things can't be done by abseil. Um, just because the work is too heavy, right? Um, but also, you know, some of these 
buildings we work on have magnificent gardens and, 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 and beautiful, beautiful common areas. And we don't really want to be putting in too much scaffold if it's not required. Uh, mm. So each building, we take into consideration the customer's needs and, and, and apply the appropriate access. So it could be an abseiler, for instance, or it could be scaffolding because there's some, some heavy repairs to do or, or a boom lift. Um, each building has its own different requirements. And, and obviously, it's a competitive world out there and we're looking to um, give the owners the most cost-effective price. So we definitely factor that in as well. And what is the one piece of advice you'd give apartment owners when it comes to painting their building? We do a lot of quotes in Strata. Um, and I, that, is the, that is the one area I think the owners, uh, if they put some time up front into talking amongst each other about what they really want out of the job, uh, which mm. surfaces they'd like to include uh, in the repainting, and then put that in writing and send it out to the, the contractors. Yep. That way you get, a more accurate quote, lot, your apples with apples, uh, which is super, super important. Um, prices can often fluctuate uh, based on the scope of the work. So the one thing I would say is put some time in up front, uh, sit down with it, with all the committee, agree on a scope of work to put in writing to then send out to your contractors. And I think you'll get a great result. For sure. That sounds a really good idea because I think normally buildings think, oh yeah, we'll, we'll get the building painted and we'll just contact three painting companies just out of nowhere and just see what they say. Oh. And uh, you end up, but nobody's happy really. Well, they're all quoting just... for different jobs. Yeah, basically. Uh, that's it, right. It, it happens nearly every time. If you leave it up to the painters and meeting with the owner, look, sometimes people won't even nominate someone to meet on site. I think that's also important. Yep. We have consistency in the conversation and get the scope right because painters will uh, quote for different items uh, and then you're looking at the prices and you're not looking apples with apples and you're bound for disappointment, I think. Right. Okay, Paul, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us this morning. I've learned so much about yeah, painting. me too. Absolutely. Stuff I didn't even know that I didn't know. <laughs> yes. yes, that's for sure. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. think about painting that much do we no. you tend to think about painting the inside of the building and the inside of your apartment and then the the lift lobbies you like to see them nice and bright mm. but when you think about people coming to buy or rent in your building as they walk down the street and they look up and they see something that looks a bit shabby and careworn yeah well when todd mckenney as you said came around the other day he looked at our building where he used to live 20 mm. years ago and he said, wow, it's holding up really well. And that's probably because it's been painted regularly. Yeah. Um, we've just had people down, rather than having scaffolding, we've just had people down, what do you call it? Abseiling. Abseiling, thanks. Painting parts of the building. And that seems to be going on quite regularly, really. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, And it does make a difference. Uh, it makes a difference to, not just for renting or, or uh, selling, but actually you know, when you come home and you look up and your building is nice and clean and bright, and it, it actually makes you feel better about the place you live yeah, in. Yeah, and it protects it as well, obviously. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to be talking about how you should approach a complaint at a tribunal. That's after this.
and we're back. I got a post to, uh, actually an email today from somebody saying I'm taking my uh, Stratus game to the tribunal. How should I approach it? Oh, did you give them some advice? I did. First of all, I said, get your paperwork lined up, establish the paper trail, show how the the strata scheme or whoever you're taking the complaint against, how they've broken the law or broken a bylaw or whatever. You've got to be very clear on this. And then my other advice was take personality out of it. You know, don't be saying this guy is in cahoots with his brother-in-law and... And everyone knows he's a moron. Yeah, and he, you know, he's got the rusted on committee and they're going to support him for, you know, whatever he wants. Because... Apart from anything else, the tribunal members have heard this a thousand times before, that, you know, it's all about everybody's against me and these people are nasty and horrible and corrupt. And that's less a point against the enemy that you're prosecuting than a point against you for looking unreasonable right at the very beginning. Absolutely. They they will look at the way you present, and if they see you come across as somebody who's just a bee in your bonnet and a... And an axe to grind, and all sorts of metaphors. All sorts of, yeah. That <laughs> they will kind think of... you're a pedant. Well, pedant. It, well, it will undermine your valid arguments. And the other thing that I've said, which I probably shouldn't have said, was not to, to go on about cronyism, you mm. know, that this is all people being cronies, because... I think there's quite a lot of cronyism going on in NCAT and, and VCAT and all these other tribunals because, you know, the number of times we've heard stories about somebody going in and the opposition's lawyer says to the member, oh, hi, Jeff, haven't seen you for ages. And they realise that these are people, they're ex-solicitors, a lot of them, and they're all old mates. You know, they're retired lawyers themselves. But that's not to say that their decisions may be influenced by that, Jimmy. Absolutely not. <laughs> Isn't it? No. Yes. Okay. If you know the person that you're dealing with and you know and trust them and they're presenting a coherent argument, then you're probably going to subconsciously at the very least favour their argument to some extent. But what I'm actually talking about is how these people are appointed and, you know, the, the whole system of where do these members come from? Do they go, hey, have you ever lived in an apartment? Because if you've lived in an apartment and served on the committee, we want you to be a, a member. I've asked this question and been told it's a privacy issue and they can't tell me. The fact of the matter is they don't know and they don't care where the people have lived in the past. It's just not on their radar. It should be. Because they have never lived in apartments. They don't realise they're quite special circumstances. Yeah, I think it's really important that uh, at least some of them, the senior ones, have lived, in, not just lived in apartments, but been on executive or strata committees at some point and understood how things work and why people get upset and why they get angry and why they might make it personal when they don't really have to. Sure. I think it's good to give people advice on how to approach tribunals. Like as a journalist, I've covered so many court cases over the years and people obviously get extremely emotional when they're presenting their case. And without doubt, you can see the judge or the magistrates in every case kind of taking a step backwards and thinking, is this person overstating their case? Mm. And if you see somebody quite coolly and logically presenting their case, you always warm to them and you can see magistrates, the lawyers kind of, you know, sort of stepping forward towards them because yeah. that carries so much more weight than somebody, you know, crying or getting really angry. That yeah. really puts people offside. And yeah. it's very hard because... 
it's a very emotional issue when you're talking about your own home often. Yeah. And sometimes the disputes might have dragged on for years beforehand, but you just have to really try and uh, take a deep breath and then just be as cool and as logical and as straightforward as you can be. And also it might not be the first time that they've been in dispute. You know, a lot of the times they're coming in at the end of a, a whole chain of disputes and they, the, you go in there to complain about some payment that's gone through or some bylaw that has been breached. And then you start talking about, and they have got a dog that barks at night and they got, you know, they had a party three years ago. And the member is sitting going, this has got nothing to do with mm. what we're looking at. Whereas if you go in and you say, here is the law or the bylaw, here is evidence that these people have breached the law or the bylaw. It's as simple as that. And the member doesn't then have to decide on the emotions of the case, just purely on the facts. And and it's you really need to go in with all your documentation lined up. And would you recommend beforehand contacting a, you know maybe a friend who, and saying to them, look at my evidence, can I just rehearse my little speech with you, and yeah. then will you tell me what I think? Would that be quite a good thing for people to do sometimes? I think so. And even if you can get a professional, if you know somebody who's a lawyer, and, and say, look, here's section whatever of the act, and here is evidence, here's a letter between the strata manager and the, the committee saying something that indicates there's been a breach, what do you think? And that person will be able to say, should be able to say, well, look, it looks fairly compelling to me. But I think going in there and just starting to dig up every little conflict you've had with those people is not going to get you very far no. at all. No. And I mean, it helps if the person you're seeking action against has little self-control as well. I mean, that's always a possibility. I remember being in court in a defamation action. Somebody Which you was, won. Yes, and the person suing me for defamation, you know, my side were very calm and considerate. And at one point, um, the other person started shouting, and uh, it really didn't go down well. Mm. And so, mm. so you always, if if you're kind of quite calm, you always stand the chance of provoking the other person. Yes, and you'll provoke <laughs> who gets them so more. angry yeah. at you being so. Yeah, absolutely, mm. absolutely. When we come back, it'll be our Haymarthers for this week. That's after this. And we're back. Sue, what's your Hey Martha for this week? Well, we've all been wearing a lot more masks. Well, we're all wearing masks much more often now. Um, we're going to have to when we go into Bunnings in future and Woolworths. And, yep, yep. and out on the streets, there are a lot more people wearing masks, especially on pu public transport. And we were talking about that to, to Todd McKenney when he came around. And... Uh, he has set up a new platform for selling masks uh, um, yeah. from the screen and stage industry because there are all these costume designers who are without work at the moment. So he went round to some of them and said, how about we make a lot of really fabulous masks for people? All right. And now they've been making masks with sequins, with glitter, with fantastic um, materials and great designs mm. and selling them on his website. And all the money goes straight to the sellers. Yeah, he doesn't make any. He doesn't no, make no, a no. cent out of it. No. Yeah. And it's toddmasks.com. And there's some great... Is it toddmasks, plural? It is, dot com. Right. T-O-D-D-M-A-S-K-S dot com. Absolutely. And um, I think they're selling about $600 worth of masks a day at the moment, which wow. is fantastic because the costume designers come from the Bangara Dance Theatre, from Sydney, from the Australian Opera. 
Right. No, from Opera Australia, sorry. Right. Yeah. The Sydney Theatre Company, from um, the Australian Ballet. So, you know, it's a fat- fantastic cause and, it, and you can get a really amazing mask. And made by a, a theatrical costumier. Yes, it's who, great. Who has dressed some of the most famous people in this country. <laughs> yeah. At some point. Yes. <laughs> well, it's great. I think it's terrific. It's terrific. Um, Initiative by Todd. Yeah. He's really good at that kind of thing. He is. He is. And how about you? Um, I'm not good at that kind of what thing. What struck you this week, Jimmy? Oh. Uh, Irritating person you are. I was very amused at the clip at the end of Insiders this week on the ABC where they showed all these old duffers in the House of Lords, you know, going, hello, hello. Cause well, they were they, trying they, to have a Zoom meeting. They were trying to have they? a Zoom meeting of the House of Lords in England. And they're all going, hey, can you hear me? Hello, hello, can you see me? (laughs) And people are going, we we can see you. (laughs) Lord Brown. Yeah, we can hear you. Your Lordship. Very, very Mm. polite. Your Lordship, we can see you. We can see you. Um, And, of course, that comes back to the podcom, which is basically about people trying to have meetings we, we, our um, characters are much more successful than the people in the House of Lords, <laughs> I have to say. It's very funny. Check it out on, you know, be on iView and stuff. Just, with, well, what, the whole program's terrific, but the bit at the end is hilarious. And what, what really struck me as well was the backgrounds of all these lords, just piles and piles of books and paper that they possibly have never read or never looked at. Yeah. And it all just looks so dusty and musty and kind of like a really good argument for getting rid of the House of Lords. I was I was having a, a Zoom meeting about our podcom the other day, and uh, my co-producer and the director, Warren Coleman, has this fabulous scene in the background of palm trees and waves breaking on a golden, on golden sand. And I thought, oh, yeah, I want to have something like that. And I went on it, and it said my computer wasn't powerful enough to do oh, that. No. I was bitterly disappointed. I'm going to get a new computer so I can have a nice background the next time we do a a Zoom meeting. Zoom meetings are good. We had eight members of cast and three production team all in a Zoom meeting the other day. Mm. And there was only one person doing the, hello, hello, (laughs) can you hear me? But I was talking to an architect the other day and he said he now regularly has Zoom meetings with up to 103 people. And in the old days... He would only have meetings like physically with maybe five or six or seven people. But now they kind of think, well, why not involve everyone? And he said it's ridiculous. The meetings go on for hours and hours because it's just all these people in the periphery who wouldn't really normally be involved with the core project. So I think it can get a bit out of hand. Yeah, although our uh, legal sponsor, um, David Sachs of Sachs Girachi, was telling me he'd had a meeting and it was all about... You know the system where you sell part of your building to a developer to... Pay to, for renovations Yeah, and they build a couple of extra apartments and things. Mm. So he had a Zoom meeting with uh, the developer, the chair of the owner's corporation. I think there was the finance people, there was the architect, there was the council, and they're all... Ooh, all together. All together Fantastic. at the same time. And he said it was so effective because everybody could hear everybody. He said it was nine of them. So it looked like the Brady Bunch thing, the grid. (laughs) But he said it was really, really effective, and they got so much done because everybody was able to hear exactly what other people were thinking when they were were responding to the comments. So it does work, but not in the House of Lords, apparently. (laughs) 
Okay, so thank you again, once again, for being part of the Flat Chat Wrap. An enormous uh, honour, James. And we will talk to you guys again next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flat-chat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Wrap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.